Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Fighting on Film podcast, the podcast all about classic and obscure war movies, from the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords. If it's been captured on film, we're going to try and cover it. I'm Robbie of RM Military History. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourer's Bench. Check your ammo, count your feet and get back in the chopper because Mark Month 2 is back, baby! Woohoo! <laughs> Met month two. Month month harder. two. Harder, better, stronger. I'm better. I am better. You see that meme <laughs> from um, the boys? No, it's great. We love Mercenary Month. And if you're new to the show or if you haven't listened to Month One, we did it back in uh, early 2021. Um, and it was a lot, hell, a whole lot of fun. Um, movies that you wouldn't necessarily think that we would cover, we were just able to go and do. And we hit the trail and we work our way into Mexico for this uh, inaugural Month 2 film with 1966's The Professionals. And it's the first Western we've ever done. It is, isn't it? Wow. And, and what a classic it is. This is, I, this, I will say it now, this is one of my absolute favourite films, just in general. Yeah, it might, next to, I think, is it A Fistful of Dollars with um, mm-hmm. Clint? I think it's my favourite Western. It's, high, it's got some high praise already. So without further ado, Matt, talking of actors, uh, maybe you should jump into the cast because it's a smorgasbord of talent this week. Yeah, it's a it's a, a tight cast, but it's all all gas, no breaks, because we've got Bert Lancaster, Lee Marvin, Robert Ryan, Jack Palance, and Woody Strode, um, who are the professionals. Um they are. with Jack Palance playing uh the the antagonist. So uh, top billing goes to Bert uh, Lancaster on this one and we're no stranger to Bert's films on the pod. We've done um, uh, Go Tell the Spartans not too long ago. Um, and Bert was in uh, war movies from the 50s right through to the 80s. He was in Ten Tall Men in 1951, From Here to Eternity, um, Run Silent, Run Deep in 1958, yeah. uh, Seven Days in May in 1964, The Train in 1965, which I watched not too long ago. We've got to do that. I, People keep it's, raving it's about it. It's a really it. interesting film. And yeah. it's... It's going to be great for Trey Month. <laughs> We've been teasing it, haven't we? Trey Month. <laughs> keep, keep teasing Trey Month. Um, 
Castle Keep Castle, in 69. Castle Blanker Express on that one, sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. I know we've done two belters. We did, we've done Dirty Dozen 3. Yeah. Which and, is uh, on a t- 2, which is, two. has a train in it. Yeah, yeah. And, and this has a, a couple of great train scenes. And Dark of the Sun. That's the big train And Dark of the Sun. Mo- so, one. Yeah. yeah. Um, Go Tell the Spartans in 78, which I men- mentioned a moment ago. Um, Zulu Dawn in 79. And then The Skin in 1981. Mm. Uh, and in the film, Lancaster plays uh, Bill Dolworth, who is a former revolutionary. He's an American that went to Mexico to fight the revolution with Pancho Villa. And um, he's since left a bit of a scoundrel, a bit of a um, ladies' man. He He's very charismatic in this film. Um, he's brought back into, uh, into the fold to do this mission, which I suppose... Before I go into the rest of the cast, just to explain what the film's about, if you haven't seen it already, it's sure. a group of um, four mercenaries go into Mexico to rescue the wife of a, um, a railroad magnate billionaire, Joe Grant, who's played by Ralph Bellamy. It turns out that, spoilers, his wife hasn't been kidnapped. She's Ooh. run away to be with the yeah. man, man that she loves, Jack Plants. And speaking of Plants, Plants plays... Uh, Jesus Raza, um, and his war movie credits include Halls of Montezuma in 1951, Attack in 1956, which we covered not too long ago at all. Adored that um, film. I bought the 1956 dated poster of that the other month. Did you? I, Amazing. That's, that's massive. I'm going to know where to put it. It's huge. <laughs> <laughs> Who needs windows? Oh, anyway, right. <laughs> Austerlitz in 1960, um, Shea 1969. Legion of the Damned in the same year, and then Bullet for Rommel, also in the same year, all in 1969. I've got a poster for that as well. <laughs> Have you? I've got a 19- super fan, aren't <laughs> yeah, I've you? Got, I've, got like, I've got an original Italian poster for that movie, because it's an Italian film. <laughs> Tasty. It I was is, in a yeah. vintage store, and it was just on the wall, and I thought, I've got to have that. It's like 12 quid or something. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, and then Lee Marvin, um, who is on form in this film, I mean, when isn't he on film? I've never actually seen a film I mean, where I've gone, oh, no. this is not great. It's just it's perfect um, casting, isn't it, really, for him? It is. It, he, he, this is this is the the film that Lee Marvin was born to be in. Oh, without like, a doubt. Yeah. Well, there's, this is, I think we talked about this the other day, but almost he's better in this than he is in this, doesn't he? Yeah, I think so. Because he has more to do. It's True. Like, True. Yeah. It's less of an ensemble piece. It is less of an ensemble. Gives yeah. him a bit more of a focus. So Marvin plays Henry Rico uh, Farden, who is I think ex US military. Um, he's been a revolutionary with Pancho Villa as well. Um, he's a weapons expert. The beginning of the film, he's got the most alley intro. He's there, so sat cool. behind the Brown in 1917, just just letting a belt off, demonstrating it to some US Army soldiers. It's great, isn't it? Um, yeah. Being an arms dealer. And- yeah, basically. Um, God knows why, because the US Army had already bought them at that point. But anyway. <laughs> um, So we don't really need to to run over Lee Marvin's extensive war movie um, no. credits, but we will, because that's what Go we on do. Then, we'll do it. Regale us again. Um, Eight Iron Men, 1952. Um, Seminole in 1953. The Glory Brigade with Victor Mature in 1953. Uh, Kane Mutiny with Bogey and The Raid, uh, both in 1954. Attack with Plants in 1956, um, The Dead He Doesn't in 1967, Hell in the Pacific a year later, Shout at the Devil in 1976, 
The Big Red One in 1980, and then his final film was Delta Force in 1986. And yeah, what career? My my petition for this this year in December is Delta Force December. I don't know what you think about that. We can do I'm it. Gonna put it out there. I'm going to put it out there. Yeah. Um. I mean, we, we tried to tank the listenership before. We try again. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know. I think everyone really just loved Dirty Dozen. Let us know. I mean, it's either Delta Force December, Rob, or it's Dirty Dozen series December. So. Yeah. Or well, Dad's or two weeks do Dad's Army December because there's two Dad's Army films. True. True. Yeah. What about Dad's um, Army Delta December? Which is doing it all. Just a. <laughs> Like a like a bang bang of the two. Wow. Yeah. Oh my god, um, imagine Delta Force with John John measuring. Oh my lobby. god, that would be amazing. <laughs> oh do you think that's wise, sir? <laughs> Ripping with an Uzi. Exactly. Yeah. Amazing. Um then we've got Robert Ryan, uh, who plays Hans Erringhard, Erringard. Um and uh Ryan is a little bit underused in this film, as is Strode, mm-hmm. but we'll talk about that more later on. Um, and in this, um, he plays a ex-US cavalryman, and his his role really is he's the horse expert. He, yeah. He's looking after the horses, which is essential. Oh, definitely. In the desert, they don't make you know? it out to be in the movie, but it's really important. Yeah, it's like <laughs> the most... like If the horses die, everyone's dead. Yeah, like, he does even the bring desert. the horses back at the end because he gets wounded. Lancaster does it. It's such a piss take. Stop trying to like stop trying to prevent Ryan from getting his ten grand at the end. I of the know, movie. right? Yeah. So uh, Ryan uh, Ryan's first war movie was Bombardier in 1943, uh, Behind the Rising Sun in the same year, uh, Marine Raiders in 1944, The Flying Leathernecks in 51, Men in War in 1957, which we've covered on the pod before. Uh, he was Gavin in The Longest Day. Uh, he he was of course General Grey in Battle of the Bulge, which we've also covered on the pod way back. And if you haven't heard mm-hmm. our tirade on Battle of the Bulge, then why not? Um, Dirty Dozen uh, in '67 with Lee. He was in uh, Custer of the West uh, with Shaw in '67, uh, Anzio in '68, and The Wild Bunch in 1969. And I think Wild Bunch, The Wild Bunch, um, and this movie kind of sit together well in that. Yeah. They they have a similar tonality, but also they they're working with like a similar setting and a similar um, post revolution. Um, what's it all for? Like yeah. Mercenary men for hire type um, kind of vibe. Um, and then rounding out the four professionals is Woody Strode, uh, who plays Jake Sharp, who is a bounty hunter and an expert tracker. Yeah. Um, Strode's uh, first war movie was the Royal African Rifles in 1953, uh, which isn't actually about the Royal African Rifles at all. Um, he was also in Porkchop Hill in 1959, which we covered on the podcast, and we loved him in that. Um, and then perhaps his most famous role um, within the war movie genre is Sergeant Rutledge, which is a, uh, a Western again yep. in 1960. And he was in uh, Shea in 1969. Jack Palance. With yeah. Jack Palance. There you go. Um, and speaking of Palance, um, we mentioned him a moment ago, but he's joined uh, by his trusty lieutenant, uh, Chiquita, um, who Bert Lancaster, in one of his many fabulous lines, describes as, she can lick a regiment but can't dance a lick. It's great. 
Yeah. I mean, that, yeah, that's a hell of a way of describing a woman. Um, but she mostly appeared in Westerns, um, but she did have one appearance in an episode of Combat in 1963. Yes, get the Combat links in there. So always going to mention <laughs> the Combat links. Um, and then finally, there is... Uh, it's like it's kicking in. Hang on, when I find right. my notes. Yeah, it will omit all this. And then finally, we have Claudia Cardinale who plays Miss Marie Grant, who is the kidnapped but not kidnapped wife of the rail magnet, uh, Joe Grant. And um, she appeared in Lost Command in 1966, uh, The uh, the Hell with Heroes, uh, two years later, and then in Escape to Athena in 1979 with Telly Savalas and um, (laughs) Roger Moore. And then she was in The Skin in 1981, again with Lancaster. Um, La Storia in 86 um, and she was also in a uh, Italian television series The Silent Mountain in 2014 oh. and that pretty much rounds out cast for this week yeah it's, it's, it's small, small but really tight and well rounded yeah. and as we'll talk about in, in a moment I'm sure slightly underused in places uh-huh definitely like it's a, just it's just one of those movies where proper big it's like Ocean's Eleven casting now you know or like the like or the Expendables. Like that. Yeah, Expendables, there you go. It's, it's like that, isn't it? You know, but these guys are all in there. Month six, Expendables, my <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> unlike the Expendables, all these guys were in there, pretty much in their prime. Oh, yeah. these the This is, I would say this yeah. is the peak of all of them. I mean, it's a little bit later on for, for Lancaster, but he's just still up there. And of yeah. course, he's top billing, so he's still the draw at the box office mm. with Marvin. And Strode's well, yeah. coming through. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, it, to be honest, Marvin and, and Lancaster have about the same level. Of, yeah, they do. Um, well, they famously time. really didn't get on on set because they they had a bit of an ego clash, and uh, Marvin's drinking didn't. Um, Bert didn't like that, so apparently mm-hmm. one day uh, Marvin got on his knees and like ex- like said sorry to Mar- to to Lancaster in this big elaborate way, and Lancaster thought he was being sincere, but Marvin was actually taking the Mickey out of him. Um, this is something I, I read while I was doing my notes. Anyway, moving on to production. What a good way to segue. So, directed by Richard Brooks, he's an eight-time Oscar nominee. He directed Ooh. Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, Looking for Mr. Goodbar. He did a couple of war movies in the 50s, Battle Circus and Take the High Ground. Um, he Ooh, also wrote cool. Yeah. He also wrote the uh, movie too. It was adapted from a 1964 novel, uh, Mule for Marquesa by Franco Rourke. It was filmed in Death Valley. Uh, Valley of Fire State Park and Coachella Valley in California. Um, three-time Oscar and BAFTA-winning cinematographer Conrad Hall uh, did the cinematography. Uh, this was only his sixth credit as well. Um, his later works, he goes on to work for an amazing, like, amazing credits list. So Cool Hand Luke, Hell in the Pacific, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And his final two movies were American Beauty and Road to Perdition. Wow. Yeah. Wow, and, Road to Perdition is a beautiful shot film. <laughs> I know, right? Um, and he was nominated for an Oscar for this, um, for the film. It got uh, quite one, a few nominations, didn't it? Yeah, it did. I think it picked up... Uh, About three. three Oscar noms as well? Yeah, for writing and director. Um, yeah, writing and director and best director and best writing and best cinematography. So they must have truncated them back then. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, bizarre, because that would have been four. <laughs> a bit weird, isn't it? Um, I don't know. Anyway, so one thing I found when you're talking about Strode being underused and, and 
Right. Interested in that. So I found Woody Strode's autobiography, um, a PDF of it online. Yes. And he's he very said, good read. Yeah, really interesting. And we also found an amazing um PDF of the press kit for this movie, yes, which was really did, yeah. interesting. It was really cool. Yeah. Um, so he mentions that he was like billed before Lancaster. So I'll read you the, the entire thing from his autobiography. I think it's really interesting. And the, the biography is from 1990. Sorry, memoir is from 1990, and it's called Goldust. And he says, after we finished the picture and I got back to Los Angeles, Lee Marvin called and asked me to come out to his house in Malibu. I showed up and Lee said, you've got to see this letter from Columbia Studios. Dear Lee, we want your permission to do this for the sake of the picture. It will have nothing to do with the advertising or billboards. We would like to start the film in this way. Columbia Pictures, The Professionals, starring Lee Marvin sequence, starring Robert Ryan and sequence, starring Woody Strode and sequence. Lee stopped right there. He said, did you ever think your name would be on top of Burt Lancaster's I'm signing? And without warning, he leaned over and gave me a kiss on the lips. That's how I got my <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's how I got my I first star Marvin. billing. Amazing. Amazing. The studio had to write letters to all the stars and get the permission on order of the credits. They put my name ahead of Lancaster's because that worked best visually. They didn't use my name in any of the newspaper ads, and my name didn't appear on the marquees at any theatres in Hollywood either. Um, I didn't care if I I didn't care if I was last, as long as my name was up there somewhere and I could steal a picture just by having a good moment. Very true. Yeah. And I think that's interesting. So I, I assume from the way he's written that there, it means like that's in the trailer. So it's the name sequence of showing him. Yeah. Name and then sequence in, of showing yeah. him. That's it. That kind of thing. Because yeah. then in wow. the um if you when we looked at that PDF of the adverts and things, and when you look at them now, Strode's name's not even on there. No. So it's really no. bizarre. There's like 30 of these different newspaper he, he ads talks about, and things. In, in, in the book as well, he talks about um, how he didn't even have like star billing for Sergeant Rutledge. And he is the titular character in that film. Yeah. And he talks about how he just had a featuring credit at the bottom of the poster in a little black box that said <laughs> featuring Woody Strode. Yeah. I mean, come on. And I forget I, who the director of that is now, but he he was like, the director always says, well, you're, you're a star to me. You know, and I think well, he said well, he John got Ford paid. said he should have had an Oscar. That's it, John Ford. Yeah, yeah, he should have. And um, he got yeah. paid a thousand pounds, a thousand dollars per week. Sorry, and he mm. said it wasn't that wasn't a lot. Um, and then he he got three hundred and fifty grand for going and doing like a spaghetti western. And he was like, "That's yes. where I actually started making money." Such an interesting yeah. read. Anyway, so getting back to the film, the film score is comp- composed by Maurice Yar. Is it Maurice Yarra? Yar? Never know. Yar. Yeah, Yar. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So he's famous for doing uh, Lawrence of Arabia, uh, Passage to India, The Longest Day. He does the train of a, a Lancaster film. Is Paris Burning, Night of the Generals. Really like famous composer. It's a great soundtrack. Really hits it those is, western beats perfectly. It's got that, those little Spanish motifs, like the Mexican yeah. motifs. It's good to know that, just... like the maracas and all that going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, the, and the horns, it's just, it's, it's perfect. Very good. Um, and Brooks mentions that he wanted um, to make a more modestly budgeted film after doing Lord Jim in 1965 for 10 oh, million. And that was a bit of a flop. No at all. Yeah. Um, and he mentions the film was made for 6 million. I couldn't corroborate. Um, I read the fact online, couldn't find a source, but I, I'm going to assume it was around that. Um, it was made by Pax Entertainment and distributed by Columbia Pictures. And its all-time gross to date is over 19 million. So it was a success. 
Um, and as we mentioned, it got its Oscar nominations. And the film was released in early November 1966 in the USA. But we had to wait almost another six, seven months here because it was released in May 1967 here. Um, and interestingly, when Columbia first bought the rights to the book, they wanted Gregory Peck, Frank Sinatra and Robert Mitchum. OK, I mean, that could work. Yeah, it could work. But they're, all bit, they're a bit too old by that point. Yeah, yeah. I... When did they buy the rights? Well, the book came out in 1964. Okay, so the, well, I was pretty quick to get it into cinemas then. Oh, no, they wouldn't, so, have, been, they wouldn't have been that old. They would have been, they, yeah. I, they're, I think, just a little bit older. I think Peck. Peck's too straight. I know he, yeah, I know he does might not westerns, but he's a bit... Mm, I can't yeah. see Peck running a, a Winchester shotgun as well as... No, not, in as good as, not as good as Marvin. I can see Mitchum, perhaps, as bad as Lancaster's character. Yeah. He's got that rough yeah. and tumble. Sinatra. As, I mean, as who? As, as, yeah, Robert Ryan's character. It's like, yeah. Mm. How do you do I that? I could see Sinatra doing Lancaster's character. Dorber. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, you, you, don't... yeah you wouldn't you? You'd do, you'd do Sinatra as Lancaster's character. You'd do Peck as Marvin. And then Mitchum as Ryan, surely. Yeah, yeah. Or Mitchum as Strode, maybe. Mm. I don't know. But anyway, yeah, they didn't go with that. One. I yeah. could see Kirk Douglas in this as well. You could you could Oh yeah. You could have Kirk Douglas in in like maybe the um either the Dolworth or the um the Anghard role. Yeah, you could. Maybe. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. But a sequel was planned um after the film did well. Um but all the cast schedules just never got never got on right. Yeah, so they never, and by the time all the schedules were clear, it was the early 70s and Robert Ryan had cancer and it was too, oh, he was too ill course, yeah. to do any of it. Um, and it was scrapped. And then a modern remake was announced in 2000 with Golden Ice screenwriter Bruce uh, Farstein to, to write and to direct John Woo. Fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> apparently. It had oh, Nick great. Cage in it. Oh, it? fantastic. Marvellous. Jesus. Yeah. Oh my! Yeah, Nick Cage would have definitely been, He'd been in it. Yeah. Been in it, wouldn't he? Gee, oh god! It hasn't happened. I can, I can see it. Nick Obviously. Cage, John Travolta, <laughs> Christian Slater. Yeah, yeah. Just um, doing most of the most of the cast that are windtalkers off the top of your head. <laughs> and, and um, and that awful um Broken Arrow film. Oh yeah, and Face Off. And yeah, yeah. Just those terrible nineties. Could have John Ma- John Malkovich in there, maybe. Yeah, John Malkovich is Strode's character. Two thousand. They could have had Denzel as Woody Strode's character if you were going to go down you that could, route. But I would. I would have. I would have made. Uh, I would have put Denzel in as um, as Ryan's character just to switch it up yes. a little bit. Yeah, you'd have done that. Yeah. When I'm Bike done with expert. you, Jesus, you'll be playing ball in Pelican Bay. <laughs> oh my God! I just I can't. I can't believe John Woo almost. <laughs> Almost did it. Ended yeah. up doing a, a remake of this. That is terrible. Thank God that never happened. <laughs> oh Christ! I mean, Wu's good at what he does, but that would have just—it wouldn't. Like, it would have been set in the present day as it well, been like, it? Yeah. and it would have just been awful. Set, set in like I don't know, like New Mexico or something. Perhaps. Oh, God, it would. It would have been as bad as the main job. Just the what? Um, Maltberg. Say again, because you've got a bit. You're a bit robotic. Okay. So did you. Yeah. It would have been as bad as the uh, the Italian job remake, uh, whatever the hell that Ooh, was, with yeah. Mark Wahlberg. Um, yeah. And Edward Norton, that was yeah. dire. Um, Yeesh. 
But thank gosh they haven't done it yet. So anyway, moving on to the I'm retro sad we didn't review. get the sequel, though. I know, the sequel would have been great. Before we move on, I'm just going to throw it out there. I'm, I'm sad. Yeah. Well, apparently, the reason they didn't do it was because of the Magnificent Seven sequel only having Yul Brynner. They wanted to make sure they brought the principal cast back. Yes. So The, the Magnificent Seven sequels are perhaps worse than the, 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 the day, doesn't it? Let me say that again. The... The magnificent, fucking hell! The magnificent seven sequels are perhaps worse than the Dirty Dozen ones because it goes. The second one has your Brenner, yeah, and then the third one has a completely different cast, <laughs> and then the fourth one has a completely different cast. But there's a dude that looks nothing like your Brenner playing the Chris character oh, in gosh. both the second, like the third and fourth one, and you're just like, what? No, amazing. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Well, anyway. Thank God they didn't do it. That yeah, might be. It might have been awful. Yeah. They could have done it without Ryan, but it's it's a it shame. Could have, but it's yeah, it would have been a shame. Um, so the retro review is back. Dick Richard is back. Double Dick, he's oh, back. Double Dick's back. I love seeing that name when I do the. Re- <laughs> it's just this has become a little thing, a little gag. So, uh, Daily Mirror from the fifth of May, nineteen sixty-seven. I'll read you his review. The professionals lives up to its name. A slick professional job done by people who know how to take a simple raw idea and make it into a slab of suspense. Director Richard Brooks' script is crisp, tough, and often funny. But though the film moves quite slowly and doggedly towards the climax, action dominates the screen. Ambush and what a lively eyeful it all is, with buildings being dynamited, ambushes, sudden death, hard riding on an escape ramshackle train, Burt Lancaster's muscles, built and grin, plus the classy chassis of Claudia Cardinal. It's set in the hot and arid, craggy wastelands of Mexico. Four men have been hired by a rich American to rescue his wife. The Professionals is highly worth watching. Dick does it again. Yeah. <laughs> you never downhearted yeah. when you get a bit of double dick. No. You it know works. it's always going to be a, a, a strong review when Dick does it. But um, <laughs> Get your mind out of the gutter, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a great review. And all the reviews pretty much were like that. Um, but then they, all the reviews I read it just did say that it does sag towards the end. Um, I have opinions on that too, which we've we've touched on off, uh, which I think we'll come back to in a moment. Yes, we will. But before before we talk about those, we we've need to one do the re- one word reviews. We do, yeah, and we got another nice crop. Um, everyone's excited for Merc Month. We love to see it. So we had David Reese Jones goes with deadly. Uh, Valerie mm. Frank says great. Paul O'Brien goes with classy. Brian Suits <laughs> says inconsistent. Hmm. And we have. Okay. Uh, David Bobber goes with cleavage. <laughs> you can't deny it. There is yeah. quite a bit going on towards the end. Um, Ian Fraser says Fandango. Uh, we have uh, Ancient Loggy Fella says Epic. Jay Neal says Self-Made Man. And Terry Eris <laughs> goes with Superb. Uh, yeah, Superb. I, I, would, I would agree. Um, yeah, self-made man makes me laugh. That's one of my favorite lines out of the film. Great line. It's uh, for me. It's not the response of Marvin, but it's his little smirk. Mm-hmm. It's fab. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> so maybe we should move on to the alley tally. I think so. It's time for alley tally on fighting on film. It's a good movie. It's a good yeah, movie, Rob. It is, isn't it? Yeah. It's it really, really is. Really a, a good movie. And there's some really cool stuff in this film. Mm. Um, and 
and Marvin makes all of it look even cooler. He just does. by the way he yeah. moves. That that man knows how to make handling a gun look good on screen. Yeah. Yeah. He 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 just I don't know, it's just he looks so effortless with it. It's it there's the old old maxim of like um smooth is fast and, and Lee Marvin's smooth. Oh yeah. Like yeah. there's we'll come on to it for favorite scenes because a lot of my favorite scenes in yeah, this yeah. film do link into Lee Marvin running the shit out of a shotgun. But, Me as well. <laughs> um but there's there's some really cool stuff in this. I mean, we met, I just mentioned the shotgun, but we, we we're introduced to him, you know, ripping through a belt on a brown in nineteen seventeen what's called machine gun. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, and I I really do love the way the film introduces everyone at the beginning. Oh, it's rad. It shows them so all good. as professional. Like mm. Lee Marvin's demonstrating a machine gun, looking very competent. Bert Lancaster is committing adultery. And then parkouring out of the window. Strode is bringing in a man for bounty. And um, Robert Ryan's just decking people for being dicks to horses. (laughs) I love it. It's so against time for Ryan. It's never what I think. Because he's quite old in this. And I'm lamping people, which makes me laugh every time I see it. (laughs) He's taking no shit when the horse cruelty is is occurring. And he is the moral heart of the film. Oh, pretty much. Yeah. To be fair, isn't he? And that sets it up right there in, in five seconds. Yeah. Because there's it. a reason why he gets captured and the other ones don't. Because I wholeheartedly in my in my head I'm thinking Lancaster would fight his way out of that train yeah. carriage and so would Strode, so would Marvin. <laughs> but Ryan might not. So yeah, Ryan like... Ryan's more of a thinking man, I think yeah. with yeah. this. And um you're right. I think I think he would probably just be like, I can I can get out of this another way without He's like, will horses be hurting me getting out? Yes. If they will, I ain't doing it. Someone put a gun to a horse's head and he's like, nope, it's fine. Hands <laughs> I up. fucking give up. Yeah. <laughs> 10 grand ain't worth it. <laughs> no, leave that horse alone. So, Rob, what's your alley pick this week? And then we'll talk oh, about well, I've got a couple. the plethora. So, it, Lee Marvin's drip is just insane in this mm. movie. Like, if you don't know what drip means for you, an older listener. It's a slang term for like your clothes and how it looks on you. You know, like, is she drip? Just yeah, how it looks is. Looks good. Yeah. Looks good. So when when Marvin get like gets off that train to go and see um Grant, he's in this like chunky knit, he's got a cavalry oh, hat on, some slacks. He's just dripping. You know, it's like the coolest geography <laughs> teacher you've ever seen. Like the man's just dripping. I don't care. Eleven no, M19 11 mag pouch. It's just mm-hmm. oh beautiful. And I like his choice of weaponry because he's got a cult police special, which is wrong mm-hmm. for the period, but, it, you know, it looks fine. Um, an M1911 combo. And I like it because I think it shows his army life and then it shows his current cutting-edge tech like, yeah. trading uh, firearms um, thing, which I really love. And then him just getting that that really 80, 1897. It's just... Mm, yeah, yeah. The- beautiful. The riot length Winchester 1897. Yeah. Which yeah. there's like a few of them. They're all carrying like I think Lancaster and um and, and Marvin are carrying them and then uh, Strode, I think, has a um, The Winchester. The Winchester, yeah. yeah. So they have nine Winchester ninety twos. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Um, him and Ryan. And yeah, that there's, well, and we'll talk about one of my favorite scenes briefly, but there's that bit in the canyon, which is the first gunfight of the movie, where um, they're just... They know that they're about to meet some of Raza's men. Lee explains to the rest of them, like, if he takes his hat off and puts it over his gun hand, then it's on. And the way he explains it is cold. It's just, it's great. And then they they just let rip him and 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 Winchester just let rip. It is, that is very true. And I think the weapons handling throughout the film underlies that. Uh, yeah. underlines that um professional background. It really it does. Yeah. Because Lee's there with like a shaving brush cleaning out the action of a, of yeah. the Winchester. Well he he famously made sure the weapons were in check on set. There's like a you know mm-hmm. le- legendary tale of him cleaning the weapons in in the desert and things. You know, he was all about that. And if you listen to our show with um legendary stunt man uh, Jim Dowdle, like it, it's just tales of that. Like Marvin is a gun guy, you know. Mm-hmm. So it really and there's little things like just breaking the Winchester levers up so they're safe when they're leaning up against a, a rock. It's just little details. It's great. Yeah. People reload in this film, Rob. They do. All the time. People reload. Yeah. Jack Jack Palance literally ex like he takes his revolver and he clears all the cylinders and the then reloads bit. before he executes a, a line of uh, federales. Yeah. And it's it it's the coldest reload. It's Very the coldest cold. revolver reload we've seen so far because he's he's just talking to a guy, reloads the revolver and starts shooting people in the back. Don't need it's... to make another gif of Palance's reload. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's all the other things as well, like Springfield 1903 bolt actions. It's all the weapons that aren't necessarily Western weapons that come in that make this film that, interesting. It's that um, turn of the century, the yeah. old West is is sort of dying off that's it um the revolution in mexico is more or less over you get your repeaters and your revolvers but you also get your cool modern fully automatic stuff yeah because lancaster is uh running a cult single action army mm. um but then in the canyon scene he's he's running a bolt action like no one's business oh yeah and he, he looks great doing it um but yeah it's it's the weapons handling in the film exudes like a cool professionalism yeah, everyone. Everyone just knows how to carry themselves, especially Marvin. 
and um and Lancaster and Strode's bow is one oh, of the, yeah. up there with Hardy Kruger's crossbow. Oh, it let's is. face it. Yeah. Um Woody Strode with that crossbow, uh, with that longbow is peak. And we mentioned earlier his uh, memoir, Gold Dust, and there's a great story from his book um, about some escapades he got up to in um, Las Vegas. So in the book, Strode des- uh, describes shooting Vegas Vic, which is that famous neon sign which kind of like waves. Oh, like the cowboy. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And apparently, apparently, um, in the in the sixties, it used to say "Howdy, partner," like repeatedly. Right. <laughs> um, and the, and apparently, um, Strode and and friends were absolutely smashed. And at like three a.m. in the morning, they decided they were going to shoot Vegas Vic in the face with the with the with the longbow. And so they, and the way he tells it in the book, he says, "I was sixteen stories up, standing on a ledge." I was so drunk, I didn't care if I fell. I found the angle, set, let loose an arrow, and hit Howdy Partner right in the mouth. The whole statue started crackling, sparks were flying everywhere, and Howdy Partner blacked out and came to a stop. And the story gets (laughs) even better, because he then says, the the cops arrived, I panicked, I ran down the hall, banged on Lee Marvin's door, said, Lee, hold on to this bow and arrow for me, don't tell anyone. Lee's like, sure i'll do it and then and then he describes lee as getting so excited that he let a shotgun off out the window (laughs) (laughs) this is all in the book which is um which is well worth the read so lee lee's blasting the shotgun out the window so i'm picturing him there with a winchester 1897 just letting him into a sign who knows um and the police knock on lee's room as you would expect and they find the bow and he he kind of like cops for it and um, Woody says in the book, uh, Lee was so proud, it got to be the biggest joke in town. So Amazing. Lee kind of, and apparently it made it into the press and all sorts. Oh, and we're trying like to the, the, sto- the article for the Twitter. story of yeah. uh, Lee Marvin shooting a, a bow and arrow, like the, the famous neon sign Vegas Vic. But yeah, that's that's in in Woody's book as well. It's apparently, uh, he liked to joke. Like I really he, want he to and read Lee that. liked to joke. Yeah, it's good. It's it really is. That. You've you've. Uh, you've read some of it, and I, I think I it's read fun. a bit of it last week, yeah. and it, it's really well written. Mm. Um, really uh, well written. Um, just to round out some of the other weapons we see in the film, there is actually a Vickers gun on the train. Yeah, there is. The bent tripod. How cool is that? Yeah. Yeah. Tripod gets... Uh, probably probably it's bent, because the take they used was like three times after they lassoed <laughs> the damn thing off the, yeah. off the roof of the train. Well, t- well, actually, no. That Vickers gun stands in for that Winchester. So it's Browning. Because it's a Browning machine gun on the train, and then when Raza runs it over, it becomes a Vickers. Oh, does it? Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Makes sense. According to IMFDB that I looked at. <laughs> yeah. So, who knows? Um, and then of course, the Lewis gun. We've oh got yes. Leona Lewis, and it looks. He's just he handles it so nicely. Were um, they period he, correct he, them Lewises. Yeah, it probably would have been because I think the film's set around 1918, 19. Oh right, okay. Like, yeah, of course. I it think, is. or maybe yeah. early twenties. It's it's post the revolution, which kind of ended in nineteen twenty. I think. Right. Because they talk about Veer in the past tense, and they talk about the revolution in the past tense. So I'm kind of guessing it's like early twenties. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't actually say in the movie. I don't think. Um, do correct me if I'm wrong. But, um, yeah, they capture that in Raza's compound, and 
Lee's running around with it, like in the crook of his arm. Like it's an assault rifle. <laughs> yeah. It's brilliant because he, he grabs it and he's like, no, I'm not going to use it to escape. Draws his like cult oh, revolver yeah. and just like one shots a load of dudes. That, That's like, my favorite, them. one of my favorite moments of the entire We'll talk film. about that in a minute, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that, that kind of like rounds out the, um, the, the the alley small arms for this yeah. film. I think that's it for me. There's too. a load of really cool stuff in there. But as you say, those knit like that fold down knit. <laughs> it's so cool. Um like, yeah. it's almost a cardigan. Yeah. And so he even bra- even I think he even cracks out like a, a American army great coat like near the end when it's cold at night. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. oh dude's dripping. Dude's absolutely dripping. They, they all look pretty good. Like the, they do. Um, Lancaster has one on as well and Str- and Strode's like strutting around in like jobbers. Yeah, and, uh, like there's a I think. Yeah, yeah, looking real good. On to favourite scenes. I feel like we're going to have some overlap. I think so. Because as you mentioned with the Lewis gun coming into the film, um, it's my favourite moment. So Lee and Lancaster are in the compound, you know, Woody Strode's firing off his, his arrows. <sighs> it, it's like they're being hit with artillery. So I, what I we sh- didn't mention in the alley tally is that, that Lancaster is also an explosives expert. That's it. And he's yeah. there with um, with dynamite, sticks of dynamite. And he's like, how far can you fire an arrow with one of these taped to it? Yeah. Now, I, speaking of river counting, Rob, I did see someone on um, IMDb <laughs> say that you can't tape um, arrows to... Uh, Dynamite Dynamite because they wouldn't have had they wouldn't have carried tape in the desert with them in 1919 or 1920. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's a shame. That's ruined the whole film for me. Anyway, so yeah, so destroy every DVD that I see now. (laughs) So um Strode and 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 Lancaster tape up these um arrows with um dynamite. And the way that Lee describes it is he wants it to look like a French 75 is, is hitting the compound. Going off, yeah. It's um, great. And yeah, and it's it's alley as hell. It's peak. It's really, really cool. Is. So in that sequence, they've it's like it's really military operation level. It's almost like the dirty dozen sequence where they, they say what they're gonna watches do. It pretty much, yeah. They do, they're like yeah, synchronize at four. It's, really, it's so <laughs> it's good. Great. It's so good. And they it's like a military operation, this bit. Um, and, and everyone's sort of expertise coming to into play. So, you know, the, the revolutionaries probably think they're being attacked by some, like, you know, government force or something. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone's running around and they finally get into Raz's little, like, sleeping sleeping chamber, like, little room. And um, they, they find Maria and uh, Lancaster's going to coldly execute him in his bed. Mm-hmm. And uh, Marvin goes, no, don't do it. And I'm like, well, why not? <laughs> it doesn't matter, you know, like, why not? Because they're all friends, and that's that's something that we yeah, didn't well, mention. Yeah, they know him, don't they? The, the, yeah. uh, Marvin, um, Lancaster, and Palance's characters all know each other. They all fought together yeah. in the revolution, so they, it's a it's a tricky mission. But they're professionals, Rob. So they went and did yeah, the mission course, anyway. Yeah. It's ungentlemanly to do to that, make that cold hard money. Also, yeah. speaking of money, um, at the beginning of the film, Grant gives them like um like a, a saddlebag full of a hundred thousand dollars worth of gold coins. None of which are above fifty dollar denomination. That's what, what they say in the that film. Money? How are they carrying that money in a tiny box? Like, <laughs> they're walking happens? around with it one handed. But what happens to it? 
I have no idea. I, why didn't they keep that and just? <laughs> yeah. Not, not that would have been a ground. funny. That would have been a great thing at the end if, if on the way, like Marvin had gone, "Oh, we still got the gold." He'd forgotten yeah, about like, that. Yeah, like Ryan had just like tapped the the yeah. saddlebags. Because I had been like, like completely forgotten. He gives him that money. They never use yeah. it for anything. You do by the end of the film. Um, yeah. Oh well, that's a plot hole you could ride a train through. That's mad. <laughs> anyway, but no, getting back to the Lewis gun bit. Um, <laughs> we can have plot. We can have plot holes in Final Thoughts. Okay. Um, so, as you as you say, they come out of the compound. They've got Maria Lancaster knocks her out, which dates the film horrendously. And there's an also a horrible line where Lancaster's yearning after a woman, and he says, "Bring me any woman of any age." And I was like, "What the fuck? That's a bit weird." <laughs> yeah, there's, like, oh. there's some very period dialogue. There's <laughs> like, some very uh, 19, 1900s, like, ten of the century dialogue. A little bit, yeah, sure. a little bit weird. Anyway, they're hard men, Rob. They're professionals. They are, yeah. Yeah, well, so um, Marvin comes out of, the, out of this little hut, uh, stone uh, building, and he sees a Lewis gun, shoulders it, and then these stormtrooper-esque bandidos come out of nowhere, and just Marvin just casually has a revolver, and he just, just like knocks them out one by one, but it's the most casual shooting I've ever seen anyone do. It's so he looks nonchalant. immense doing it. He really <laughs> it's, does. It's so cool, you know. Because he, he's kind of like running backwards at one point, draws it and does like a very 1900 stance where he just kind of like draws yeah. a bead on the yeah. dude as he comes out of the door and then just and drops like, him. From the hip as well, not looking, yeah. just point shooting him. Amazing. Like, I just, that's Marvin on I don't know why anyone me. else was there. Like, Lanka, like Marvin could have done the whole <laughs> could mission on his own. Himself. Yeah. But it's it's not only the, that's my favourite moment. Because I think I like the whole movie. It's hard to like, Mm-hmm. say one favorite scene but for me it's a dialogue for this movie really that is the standout and it's so sharp and funny in it apart from that Burt Lancaster line with about the women of any age which I thought was a bit mm-hmm. weird um like it's just it's the thing so I picked out some of my favorites so we've got um at the end uh Grant's calls uh Lee Marvin a bastard mm-hmm. and Marvin does the smirk and he goes yes sir in my case, an accident of birth. In your case, a self-made man. Cold, cold line, ice cold. In comes the score. <laughs> yeah, and he exactly. just walks off and it's yeah, cold. It's so good. Then we have, um, before just before they make it back to Grant, he says, Rico says to Dolworth, uh, so what else is on your mind besides 100-proof women, 90-proof whiskey, and 14-karat gold? And Lancaster looks up at him and gives him this like, little smirk and goes, amigo, you just wrote my epitaph. <laughs> just beautiful and my last one does always make me laugh um it's palance's uh delivery of it really but the the lady says where did the bullet uh, dolworth says where did the bullet bite you um and dolworth goes in the ass you and raza looks at his thigh that's been shot and he yeah. and he goes oh another two inches mamacita this <laughs> is great really good he, because palance doesn't get much to do no but um but one of my favourite scenes, speaking of just dialogue-driven scenes, one of my favourite scenes is is that canyon sequence, mm. um, which, like, one-on-one between uh, Lancaster and Palance. Um, and Raza, Palance's character, has a, a really nice sort of monologue where he talks about the revolution and war. Yes. He, he, he talks about, um, like, revolution is a great love affair. In the beginning, she's a goddess, a holy cause. Um, but every love affair has a terrible enemy, time. Um, and the revolution sort of becomes a whore and you never find another lover, another cause. Um, yeah. 
and everything becomes a uh, like a like a sorid, just passionless trudge. Yeah, and I think it's that's such a there's <laughs> such me. like pathos and depth to that monologue, in the, yeah. which you don't expect from the rest of the film. It's it, um, it, it reminds me of Swiss Tony from the from the Fast Show, though. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, about Lancaster doing a revolution is much like having love with a beautiful woman. <laughs> it does really remind me of that when you just stood talk. next to a stuck stood next to a Rover seventy five. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you're right. The dialogue is it makes it, and that scene really grounds the film a little bit. And it, it does. It makes you care about Palance because obviously they've got to make get Palance on side for you as the viewer. Because mm-hmm. they're gonna not kill him, so it's like they have to do something. They've shown him as this murderous revolutionary, shot all the federales. Although they kind of couch that in terms of these particular regiment of federales were, were, were bad bastards, were, yeah. were torturous. Medley Marvin's wife, yeah, shot Raza's village up. You know, yeah. they kind so of you think, set that up, you, but he's ruthless. But then they don't with that killing his wife thing. They don't show Rico. I mean, that's maybe that's why Rico knocks as many of them out as he does. But like, there's not a sequence where because in that thing he could have been really hot headed and go and joined in the fight and killed guys, but he doesn't. So it does show a nice level of restraint. Yeah, because he he walks away, doesn't he? Yeah, I like that because he's a professional. Yeah, exactly. Coming back to that all the time. <laughs> but yeah. um, Lancaster has a good line about the revolution too in that sequence, and he says the revolution when the shooting stops and the dead are buried, the politicians take over, and it all adds up to one thing: a lost cause. Yeah, which is a great line, right. really. Good. And I think his performance and Palance's performance in that canyon sequence are top notch. They're great. Oh, great! Because yeah. the premise of that scene is Lancaster's holding them off while the others get away. There's seven against one. No problem. No problem. Um, Lancaster ends up not, like dropping all all of them, and then taking Raza um, back with him. Anyway. Um, mm. I think my my initial favourite sequence of the film is that one I mentioned earlier on, where they're in a in a, in a canyon, um, on the way towards Raz's compound, and they run into some of Raz's men. And Strode's scouting ahead, and he says, six men on horseback, yeah, uh, to end the end of the canyon." And then Ryan like looks at them and goes, "They've got bolt actions," which I think is nice, nice little inclusion of Ryan getting a, mm-hmm. a line. Um, and Lee uh, looks at the the Strode and, and Ryan because they aren't they weren't in the revolution. Like Lancaster knows this, but yeah. the other two guys they weren't revolutionaries, so they don't know that when the guy takes his hat off to like greet them and say hello, and if it goes over his gun hand, he's going to draw a gun and start shooting at them. Yeah, um, yeah. So he explains that to them and then tells them where to go, where to go and position themselves mm. for an ambush. Um, and Which is Lancaster, why I like them. I say it's like a military western. Mm, it is because of that little things in there yeah it is and they walk up and pretend they're prospectors both carrying the uh the winchester shotguns yeah and then they absolutely let loose and blast they have the guys don't they yeah it's great <laughs> yeah. lee's there like slam firing yeah um i think i think um I think yeah, like, jumps across it. like three rocks to get cover yeah. at one point yes great bell lancaster is exceptionally like um physical and vigorous in a lot of very roles. much so yeah. and this is one of the films where he shows that because his character is introduced diving out of a window and doing some parkour to escape from a angry husband mm. and then later on he's, he's shown climbing up a rock face no bother like just free climbing um yeah. 
jumping across canyons and stuff. It's very physical. They're all quite physical in this. They are. But but um but Lancaster especially is. Um, very much so. Yeah, very much so. I always think he's like Brad Pitt now. He's got that rugged, yeah. tough, yeah, toughness about him. Yeah. This is the like like I said for Lee, this is the perfect film for Lancaster. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And and you never even though they sort of didn't get on, on set, you never never seeps into the movie. You know, they're not they I don't feel like they're trying to outact each other. They just have good chemistry on the screen. Mm. It's a shame they didn't mm. get on off it because they would I'd love to see more of them together. Yeah, yeah, that's um, very true. Would have been good. Coming off the uh, the Lewis gun mention you mentioned earlier, I love the bit on the train where they're making their escape and Lee kind of like sits down and then takes a knee, mm. props up the um props up the the, the, Lewis. the Lewis gun in yeah. like a almost target shooting pose and just starts like popping off at it's so end. good yeah it's so yeah. good um but I, I i do think that that canyon scene with lancaster and plants kind of lifts the film in terms it does. of um yeah. in terms of um just more more of a um so what i'm looking for it's more of a um a bit more highbrow a bit more highbrow it's more of a thinking man's military western yeah um there's more that, going on than just shooting and that's where the parallels, I think, with um, the Wild Bunch come in, because mm-hmm. that's that's not a that's not the gory shoot 'em up that people think always it remember it as because of yeah. that end sequence, which is incredible. Mm. Um, but yeah, any that other doubt. favorite scenes, Rob? No, not really. I I enjoy the whole thing, and I because th- I think yeah. my the things I love about it, but also the things I don't enjoy. So maybe running into final thoughts would make more mm-hmm. sense for me to. Yeah. To, to explain more so final thoughts so it it annoys me because as much as the movie has action going on and things happening i feel like it really front ends it and i wish that it would have at the end we could have had maybe a little shootout or proper showdown with grant's men because it wraps itself up really neatly really quickly mm-hmm. and i'm always sat there thinking oh this is the bit where they have a shootout with grant's men and they don't because in that end sequence, I'm thinking, you're outnumbered here by Grant's dudes. They've all got shotguns and rifles as well. Surely Grant's just going to turn around and go, kill these guys. And they would have, you know, I'm not yeah. paying you 100 grand, you've disobeyed me, kill them. And it's all just a bit... And it doesn't really make sense that they don't. No. He, yeah, they just sort Lee, of let him Lee calls Grant a bastard. Um, yeah. They steal his wife. Well, Raza steals his wife. They protect yeah, Raza. Yeah, exactly. Um, because Grant wants to have one of his cronies shoot him. Um, yeah, yeah. And then they they essentially probably also take the ransom money. <laughs> Possibly. Yeah, it's um, bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, don't, I did they take the ransom money with them because it was it was obviously a rescue mission. Well, he didn't get he didn't get paid. They didn't get paid, did they? But then you said no, they, they got given those gold coins for whatever. Well, they did at the beginning of the film, but did they take those with them? I don't know. I suppose they did. Maybe they lost them. Like during maybe, the during maybe, that maybe Grant kept hold of that saddlebag. I don't know. I can't yeah. remember. It would have been a nice um, callback. It, it would have been, and I I took I completely agree. I think a shootout at the end with Grant's men would have added a lot of weight to that conclusion. Yeah. Where um, there's a, there's a dozen of Grant's men, and um, they're protecting Raza. They're explaining that the. the his wife is not going to stay with him. She's going to yeah. go back with Raza. Um, so why would Grant just roll over and allow them to do that? I know. He probably but then it's wouldn't. also probably not 
But then it is also nice that the guys talk their way out of it rather than shoot their way out of it. Maybe yeah, that adds I mean, to the professionalness it's a, of it. It's a perfectly fine ending, but I think yeah. I think it's it's set up really to be like a, a little climax because yeah, it would be nice in terms of action. The climax of the film obviously is Lan- uh, Lancaster shootout in the canyon with Palance yeah. and the Met and his men, and that's great. It's a really great sequence. There's a lot of suspense to it. There's a lot of um, as we mentioned, um, thoughtful dialogue, rumination mm. on revolution, etc. Um, but beautifully shot as well. Um, there's that sequence where they they ride back and meet Grant, and yeah, and it's like, okay, so yeah. just that's it. Okay, it just right. sort of fizzles away a little. Yeah, bit. it does a but little. That's bit. not that's not to say I don't really love the movie because I really do. Mm. It's a real. Oh, no. Netflix recently uploaded like a really crispy. I think it might be the Blu-ray it edition of it, and it's crisp it as really heck. Good. Um, it's my me and my dad sat down to watch it, and my dad's not a big movie guy, um, and he really enjoyed it. And I always think if someone isn't a big movie person and they enjoy a movie, that, and they mm. go, "Oh, that was really fun!" Like, I've been telling you something. Watched this phrase. for about a year, haven't I? I've been, yeah, I've yeah. Like, I watched we... it like for four or five months ago for the first time, and I was yeah. like, "Yeah, where's this movie been all my life? I've seen the Magnificent it's, Seven. It's one of my absolute favorites, but I've not seen um, this. I haven't seen this one, but it's a great adventure film." rattles along even though it does fizzle out for me a little bit it's paced quite well yeah but the pacing is lovely and then my other big criticism and we mentioned we've alluded to it a whole show is i think strode ryan and palance are woefully underdone undercooked Mm. they don't have enough to do ryan's sort of oddly absent for maybe 60 percent of the movie because he gets captured you don't see him and then he just gets injured and he's not really used. And he's left behind a lot as well. Yeah, yeah. He's left with the horses most of the time. And I know that's his job, but I, he doesn't have exactly much that's what I was to do too. as you'd want. Yeah. Mm. And surely Strode, as, you know, he, he is useful for his part in blowing up all the TNT and stuff in the ambush and being on the ridges. But when, when, Lance, when, Lance, when Lancaster goes away to the ridge, I always think, take Strode with you as cover. Yeah, have him up in the have him up on those rocks because it'd been perfect for him because with the burn arrow or, or a, a long gun or something. Mm-hmm. There is four guys like, at this point. I'm always like, come on, you know. Yeah, well, just let's... just a, a little more dialogue from them would have been great. Yeah. Just to learn a bit more about Strode's character because we we get a fairly decent idea about Lancaster and Marvin's characters, mm. um, and we know that that Ryan is the moral heart of the film because he yes. prevents the, the the shooting of nine of the horses that are captured um from the the uh my favorite scene the bit in the canyon where they initially have that shootout with Raz's men who are just they don't know that they're coming for that they just think they're just some gringos um yeah and we haven't even mentioned that great sequence where um lancaster goes off to scout why wouldn't strode be the guy that was <laughs> I know, <scouting>? right? <laughs> yeah that, See, that's what I mean. Because, but it's a thing. It's it's Lancaster's top billing, isn't he? Hmm. So you have him doing more. Yes. But then you have the character. Exactly. Yeah. So Lancaster he, goes off for a couple of uh, for like a a day ahead of them. Hmm. He leaves markings to say whether it's safe or not. Crosses upside down, not upside down. Um, and then he's captured by um, some of uh, Roz's men. Yeah. And they've got him hanging upside down. And Lee Marvin has a very cool little sequence where he. Slides down a rock face with a revolver in hand, oh, it's so and then cool. like, just like points yeah. it in a in a Mexican um, bandit's face. And he machetes a, a little... dude to death 
didn't he, as well? Yeah. <laughs> Off screen, but you still see it. Yeah. Um, and Strode, Strode does have a little um, a little part in that sequence. Does have a moment he, in that. Um, where he, he, um, he saves Marvin by shooting one of the dudes. Yeah. Um, but that that's kind of a an element of um of the of the film that Strode could have done as no, the tracker. Yeah. The I just think and I and I know other people might not even think they're underused at all, but me and Matt really like Woody Strode. And I know yeah. a lot of others do. And when you see a movie and he's on the billing, you're like, oh great, fucking top, like Woody Strode, mm-hmm. like really underrated. Great actor. Great actor. Yeah, great and actor. I think he's largely forgotten. I think so. Yeah, is a real shame. If you're not um, a Western fan, you might not know. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you're not a fan of America, like fifties, forties American football, you might not know. Yeah, yeah. The, the, he's a physical presence, but he has a subtlety to the way he acts in scenes. And he's Very completely so. right in the book when he says, "I don't, I don't care what billing I am. I can steal a scene oh, with without a doubt. Yeah, and he can. Yeah. Um, and there's elements of that in this film. He doesn't have one scene where he does do that. Um, but no. there's little sequences where you can tell he's putting putting his A game into the yeah, short really bits is. of dialogue that he does get, and he he exudes that professionalism. Like he, he gets they, an yeah. order, they all he gets get an it. order, he spins on his heel and he goes and does it. Mm. Um, and it's it's all plays into that very cool, precise, professional yeah. vibe that they all exude, and makes you think these guys really are professionals on a mission. Um, and they yeah. know what they're going to do. You really are the most professional bastards <laughs> in all in of the, Mexico. In all of Mexico City. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's uh, I think that's great. Like it, I think that rounds up perfectly. And it it is one of those. It's a great film. It's one of the mm, classics. West beautifully films. shot. Great locations. Yeah, really great cast. Really strong mystery film. Exactly. What a great opener to Merc Month. So I've got in my in my notes here. Quality start to Merck Month. Mm-hmm. And next week's film is 1971's Universal Soldier, starring George Lazenby. What a film that is, because that's that that has a lot of interesting elements to it and um, is probably best known for killing George's career. So that'll be Pretty an interesting much. One. And Cyan Fields, who was quite ill at the time. It's a very interesting movie. A lot of Ali Kit on display again. Mm-hmm. Um, some insane drip, as I've mentioned this week. There's some good drip in that film too. And if you love Merc Month too, and if you're enjoying what we're doing, please help get the word out, share the episode around, leave us a review on Apple Pods. That always really helps. Yes, and if you want to catch back up with Merc Month 1, they're all on uh, fightingonfilm.com for your viewing pleasure. And I think we'll have a little blog post with Merc Month 1 films. By the time you hear this, there'll be a blog with all four episodes listed. Thanks, guys. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 